Father God, would these words of mine, uh, these meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight? And would they speak to your people? Uh, Would you speak through me uh, to the hearts of everyone here so that they would encounter you, they'd encounter your your words, and they'd be changed, and that they would learn, uh, and that they would grow? It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Are any of you surprised by what happened this week? I know that I was certainly surprised by the results of the election. Uh, Against all seemingly outside odds, Donald Trump won the election, and he's going to become our next U.S. president. Now, Donald Trump's uh, uh, victory, it surprised many of the major news networks. I don't think I saw a single news network that said we were expecting this. All but I think one poll said that uh, Hillary Clinton was going to win. I know it certainly surprised me. It surprised, I think, every single one of my Facebook friends. uh, And I'm sure it surprised some of you. Now, we all go through life and we experience things that, uh, that surprise us. Now, we're looking at a sermon series called Fruitfulness on the Frontline, and we're trying in this ser- series to learn how to get the unexpected to happen. So we're actually trying to create kind of situations and environments around us that lead to an unexpected result. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, this is kind of an overview of the different fruits that we've been through in this series. So your front line is the place where you're around the most non-Christians, whether it's your office, trip to market, basket, your neighborhood. And we've been learning about different ways that we, as Christians, can live in such a way that the people around us take notice, right? So that we are making a difference on behalf of Christ, uh, to our front lines, to those places that don't know Jesus. Now, we've learned that we can model godly character, that we can model the character of God, and that adds to the credibility of our witness. Uh, Anthony gave a message on making good work. We can do everything as if unto the Lord, and that can bring honor and praise to God. We can minister grace and love. That was the story of the Good Samaritan. We can mold culture. And last week we heard from Tom Taylor, we can be mouthpieces for truth and justice. Now, all of these are supposed to lead to something. All of these have a goal. And that goal is sharing the gospel. So imagine that your coworker, or perhaps one of you have a neighbor, uh, your neighbor, Janet, uh, or your coworker, they've been around you, they've been working with you for several years, and they begin to notice a change in you. Maybe it's how you treat them at your office or interact with them. And one day, Janet walks up to you and says, you know, I've noticed a difference in you. You seem happier. Are you on a new diet? And you know on the inside, well, I've been seeking to live on my front line for the Lord. I've been seeking to express my faith, my Christianity, in my everyday situations. So you know, it's not a diet. It's not a new fad. But how would you respond in that situation? Would you say, ah, there's no reason. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to do a good job. Or would you pause and say, well, there is a true reason. There is a reason that I'm acting differently Would you share the real one, that 
there's Jesus, and, and he's, he's making an impact on your life, and so you want to bless others. See, the purpose of M1 through M5, the different fruits, is to have an opportunity to be a messenger of the gospel. Now, we don't want to just do those other things in order to share the gospel, but Lord willing, we want to have the opportunity that as people take note of living differently, uh, we get an opportunity to share why we live differently. And I don't know about you, but if someone came up to me, I would be surprised. This would be something unexpected. And so we need to pause and say, how can we be prepared? How can we be ready? Now, 1 Peter chapter 3 that Andy read, in it, uh, the apostle Peter, so one of the early church leaders, he urges his audience to always be prepared, always be ready to share the gospel, to give a reason for the hope that you have in you. Now, he is writing to early Christians uh, that feel ostracized, that feel at odds with their society, with their culture. He's really writing to kind of a persecuted church in a dispersed region, uh, region of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. And as they suffer for what is right, Peter is saying, well, some people, although most are going to reject you, most might cause you to suffer, some people are going to take note. Some people are going to stop and ask you why. Why are you living differently even though we're treating you unkindly? So it's similar to perhaps situations that you might feel where people kind of think weirdly about your your faith and, and don't want to hear about it. But some people might stop and say, I want to hear more. And so this leads us to our first point from verse 15, that we are always to be prepared. Always be prepared. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So we're always, as, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, we're always to be ready. We're always to be prepared to share the gospel, even if it's the last thing we would expect. Now, In verse 14, Peter says, so the verse right before us, he says, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. (laughs) So don't be scared, always be ready. Now, the people of his audience, he's writing to kind of a dispersed region, modern-day Turkey, so a lot of different churches spread out, but they all have something in common. They're all suffering, or they're all uh, kind of ostracized by their culture. See, their culture is not just not interested in Christianity, it is anti-Christianity. It is against the faith. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel the same way about our culture. Now we can see this theme all the way through the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this, And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. These churches, they're suffering griefs, they're suffering trials. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4. They, it's the non-Christians, the culture, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abu- abuse on you. Maybe some of you can relate with that, where you don't participate uh, in, in, in kind of your front line in a certain way, and you've gotten criticized for it. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, 
you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. See, it's not new to be, it's nothing new to be criticized for the name of Jesus, to be ostracized. This is, this is something that has run through church history since the very beginning. And yet, Peter's message is still true for every one of us. We're always to be prepared. We're always to be ready, despite society's rejection. Now, have any of you ever seen the show, uh, National Geographic's show, Doomsday Preppers? So you can just raise your hand if you've seen it. I've seen it. Okay, well, Ben's seen it. Good, Ben. I'm so, so happy. So uh, it's about ordinary people who prepare for disaster, anarchy, food shortages, zombie invasions, earthquakes. They prepare for pretty much everything. Now, some of them, they live in the woods. Uh, they, they, they stay far away from uh, society, and they stockpile food and, and, and fuel and canned food. And at one point, my wife and I got so into watching this show, it was just for a brief period, that we actually purchased a prepper's kit, all right? So this is called a mountain house, a just-in-case uh, kit, and it has an assortment of different food items that you can just add water, beef stroganoff with noodles, lasagna with meat sauce, chicken teriyaki with rice. And so Monica and I are prepped. We're ready. We're prepared. So if, if Yellowstone explodes and uh, the volcano uh, just busts into the air, we will be able to eat beef stew as we perish. So it's... <laughs> It's pretty exciting. If someone asks you about your faith, would it feel a little bit like a natural disaster? Would you be like overcome, overwhelmed by what to say, or would you be prepared? Would you be prepped? Would you have some sort of answer to give them, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance? Are you ready? Do you know how you'll Respond. We should all ask ourselves this question. The Bible calls us to always be prepared to do one thing, to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer, Peter writes. See, there is, there is purpose in our preparation. We're to give a reason for what we believe. So why we believe in Christianity. Uh, what's our reason behind holding to this faith? Now, in verse 15, it, it uses the word, the NIV says, always prepared to give a, uh, an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. Uh, so, uh, the Greek word for answer is the word apologia, apologia. So, you can see it here, uh, the word apologia, and uh, you can actually kind of see the similarity between the Greek and the English uh, below, but it means a verbal defense. So if you read the ESV, other translations use the word defense. Now maybe some of you have heard of apologetics. So apologetics is uh, modern-day philosophy, arguments, reasoning, logic for the truth of Christianity. So if someone says, well, you know, Christianity is, is dumb to believe in, you can say, well, no, there's this whole field of study that, that produces natural or, or scientific arguments for why we 
believe what we believe, that there's good reasoning behind our faith. Now, the book, The Case for Faith, is an example of apologetics. So this is a book that we give at the Welcome Center to anyone who is wrestling with the truth of whether Christianity is, is real. It's true. So if you want one of these, please go back there and pick one up after the service. Now, there's this tendency in apologetics to think that you have to have, like, a doctorate, that you have to be super smart and be able to give, like, the, the 10 different laws or the 20 reasons that you can, uh, that, that, that Christianity is true. Now, I want us to notice in verse 15, it, sa- it does not say, always be prepared to give the smartest answer. <laughs> it doesn't say, always be prepared to give the best answer or the most logical answer or the most forceful or argumentative answer. Apologetics can become argumentative very fast because it becomes about one-upmanship, like I'm going to give a better answer than you. The Bible says to just give an answer, to give an answer. We're to do this with gentleness and with respect. If you ever feel like you know, someone asks you about your faith and you start to get argumentative, that's not where we're supposed to head. We're supposed to, we're supposed to give an answer. Now, every answer that we can give, it doesn't have to be this big defense. It can be, it can be personal. It can be true to who we are. In fact, I would argue that any, if, if, if the same person asked uh, Andrew and Joe the same question, why do you have the hope in you, uh, we, we would get two different answers from each of them. And I think we can actually see a biblical precedent, uh, precedent for different types of answers. So if you look in the end uh, of the book of Acts, there's several examples of Paul, the Apostle Paul, giving a defense for his faith. It's this same word used in Peter's letter. In Acts chapter 24, you can flip there if you want, the Apostle Paul is called to defend himself before a Roman governor named Felix. And he's actually accused, so this is, this is real. He's accused in a court of being a troublemaker, of starting riots, of uh, defiling the temple. And how Paul defends himself is he explains, he just simply states, well, I, I have not been arguing. I have not been stirring up trouble. I have not been defiling the temple. But he does add some positive things. He says, but I do... Like my accusers believe in the truth of the Old Testament and and, and the, the law, the prophets. I believe those to be true. And just like my accusers, I believe that the resurrection is true. I'm on trial for the resurrection. Jesus rose from the grave. And so how he gives an answer, how he gives a defense is by going to the resurrection. So that's one way that you can give an answer. And in Acts chapter 26, two chapters later, we see Paul defend himself before a king named Agrippa in an entirely different way. First, he describes what his life was like before he became a Christian. So he's on trial and he he kind of shares his story. He says, this is what my life was like before I became a Christian. I persecuted the Christians. I, I persecuted the believers. And, and then second, he describes how he came to know Jesus. He, he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then right after that, in the, kind of the third section, he describes how his life has been transformed, how his life has been changed, and how he's leading a new life. 
on behalf of Christ instead of trying to persecute Jesus. Now, does the way Paul defines his, uh, gives an answer sound familiar to some of you? Uh, For those of you that have written faith stories and shared them, I think this should sound a little familiar. See, at Cornerstone, we share faith stories in a very similar way. Now, there's several different types of faith stories you can give. You can give uh, a conversion story, which is what Paul is doing here. You can also share, you know, a life event that God shows his faithfulness to you, or perhaps your pilgrim story if you've uh, come to know Christ over a long period. And we can divide kind of the conversion story, the faith story, into the same three parts that uh, that Paul gave, how you lived before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and how Jesus changed you. I love this picture of Stephanie sharing her faith story. Thank you, Stephanie, for doing that. But this is an example of a way that you can give a reason. Someone asks you about the hope you have or why you're, you're living differently. You can say, well, let's get coffee, and I'd love to share uh, kind of the big reason, the full reason. Let's have a real conversation about why I believe what I believe and, and how it's impacting my every day. We've had about, I don't know if we've had quite 30 people share their faith stories, but it's been wonderful over the, the last year to hear those stories. If you haven't shared your faith story yet at Cornerstone, I really challenge you to do that. Uh, it, it's not just so that we can have a nice element in the service. When you sit down and you reflect on your faith story and get an opportunity to share your faith story in here, it's actually preparing you for out there so that you can go out and you can share it with other people that don't know Christ. Uh, That's an important part of of maturing and growing in the Lord is sharing how God has shown his faithfulness to you. So always be prepared to give an answer. And not just any answer, but we want really the Holy Spirit to be uh, moving and speaking through our answers. So some of you uh, may have uh, may know of this verse in Luke, Luke chapter 12, 11 through 12, and where, Je- where Jesus teaches his disciples not to worry, but to trust God as they go out and try to share about the kingdom of God. It says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So this almost sounds like a contradiction to Peter, doesn't it? Peter says, be ready to make a defense, and Jesus says, don't worry about it. So should we trust Jesus here, or should we trust Peter? Now, I don't believe that this is a contradiction. The Bible is cohesive. Instead, what Jesus is saying is, don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. I want you to trust me. I want you to to trust the Holy Spirit to speak through you when the time comes. This doesn't mean that we can't think about what we might like to say, perhaps even rehearse a little bit, but we should never be so stuck to our answers that when someone you know, says, you know, what's going on in your life, you recite the Apostles' Creed. This is not how we want to answer. Instead, we want to trust the Holy Spirit will speak through us in that moment, that he'll use your preparation. There's a reason we do preparation, but he'll also use spontaneity. And as you're in the moment trusting God, that God will speak through you. 
Now, when people have asked me personally, you know, why are you a pastor? That's an opportunity where I could share about the hope that I have, that I could give a reason. And I'll be honest, I struggle with this. Uh, you know, I'm a pastor at a gospel preaching a Christian church, and I still struggle with sharing the real reason for why I became a pastor. It's very easy to say, well, you know, my dad was a pastor, or I really wasn't satisfied at my job. You can say all these things that really skirt around the issue of why uh, someone enters the ministry. Or you can give kind of awkward answers. Last time, uh, a recent time, someone asked me why I wanted to be a pastor. Uh, I said, well, I felt God wanted me to become a pastor. And there was just kind of like this awkward pause of, okay, well, that's interesting. Now, you guys aren't going to have to deal with that question. Why why did you become a pastor? Uh, But you might be asked, well, why do you go to church? Or, you know, why do you pray? Uh, Why do you pray over your meal? Or or something along those lines. Monica, as well, struggles often with this idea because she teaches at Bradford Christian Academy, a Christian high school. She said, I could share this. People will ask her, you know, what do you do? And she says, she says, well, I'm a teacher. I'm a high school teacher. And they say, well, at what? And she, says, she finally will kind of say, oh, the Bible. <laughs> and she kind of has to get it pulled out of her. We don't really want that. That's not what we want. We want to be honest about our faith, about our, our, our identity in Christ. We don't want to force our faith on others. Certainly, we don't want to do that. But we want to share So maybe when someone asks you this weekend or or next week, what did you do on the weekend? Do you skirt around the issue of, oh, I went to church, or could you share? You know, I really enjoyed uh, worshiping God at church, or uh, I really enjoyed the service. Maybe some of you have coworkers that say, well, what are you going to do tonight? And it just so happens that evening you have small group. You could say, I'm, I'm going to small group to learn about the Bible. That's, that's a way to start conversation without uh, opening it up for conversation, without uh, kind of ramming it down people's throats. Now, I recently spent some time with non-Christian friends. Uh, I went uh, on a hike uh, with some people on my front line from my, my gym, and I was nervous about this because I knew people might ask me, well, why did you become a pastor? And so beforehand, I was actually rehearsing with Monica. I was like, okay, if someone asks me about what I do, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, to make a long story short, it's because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, not a a bad answer. But I prayed about it. I just said, you know, I know that Jesus is walking with me into this moment. He's going on this hike. The Holy Spirit is going to be there. He's going to be present. And although I kind of wanted to give that rehearsed answer, I never really got the opportunity. We had many great conversations about current events, and I did get to share about the church. But I didn't have to give my rehearsed answer. So I'd encourage you to think about your front line. Think about opportunities that you might have to share. Come up with some answers so that when you are asked, you're not shocked. But then give it to the Holy Spirit. Give it to the Lord and pray and just say, God, I'm going to trust you. And also ask God to give you those opportunities. Begin to pray that the Lord would give you uh, times on your front lines, those kind of awkward moments to share a little bit. Or you can even go out of your way and ask people to get coffee with you and you can share a little bit more. So we always want to be prepared to give an answer. Not the smartest answer, not the most forceful answer, 
but an answer, a, a simple one that's true to who we are and also true to the scriptures. Now, what matters is how Jesus has changed us and, and moved in our lives, but also how Jesus has saved us. And this leads me to my big idea and really I think what's the heart of this passage as you look at it. Always be prepared to give an answer, but always be prepared to give a gospel answer. In verses 16 through 17, so we didn't read those, but in, in those two verses, Peter explains uh, that Christians are to do good even to those that persecute them or when others reject them and, and treat them unkindly. This response doing good in every circumstance. You could even go back to those M1 through M5. Uh, doing good in every circumstance, no matter what's going on, uh, is, a, is rooted, is, is grounded, is, is, is based in the gospel and what Christ has done for us, how Jesus responds to sinners, right? What Christ has done for you and for me. So verse 18, 1 Peter 3 Verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 1 Peter 3.18 is really a gospel verse. It describes what Jesus does for you and for me as we trust him, as we put our faith in him, the forgiveness that he offers us. Now, the word gospel, it does, there are the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the word gospel itself really refers to uh, an aspect of the Christian faith, really the heart of Christianity. Gospel means good news, and it's the good news about Jesus Christ. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to share with you, I'm going to kind of break down this verse into four different S's that, uh, that describe the gospel as we, as we look at this verse. And I want you to think about how you could incorporate one of these S's into an answer. So if someone shares with you, asks you a question, you know, what's, what's different, what's going on, perhaps you could head in the direction of one of these S's. And it doesn't, I don't want to be a, uh, a rote thing, but think about it as we go through. So the first S, sin. Sin. Uh, our verse says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Now, before there's good news, there's bad news, right? Uh, Tom did a wonderful job of reminding us of that last week. Sin is real. Uh, sin is our disobedience before God. It is any time we miss the mark with how we live our lives. It's when we trust ourselves instead of our king, our creator. So we're all born into sin, and sin is not just the things we do. It's certainly that, but it's also a, a posture of the heart, that our hearts are born in sin. And the, the effect that this sin has on our relationship with God is that it separates us from God's love. So if we're born in sin... And God is absolutely pure. God is absolutely holy. We can't have a, a loving relationship with God unless God deals with that sin. So really, the gospel begins with bad news. And we need to believe this aspect of the gospel. But there's good news. There's much more good news than there is bad news. Second is sacrifice. See, it says Christ suffered once for sins. He suffered 
for my sins. He suffered for your sins if you know him, if you believe in him. See, God sent his son, Christ Jesus, to deal with what we broke. We broke the relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve uh, ate of that fruit. It wasn't just a a snacking when it's not right. (laughs) It was an act of defiance saying, I'm going to trust myself instead of you, God. So to make this relationship with, uh, with, with people right, uh, God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for my sins, for your sins, if you know him. Jesus sacrificed himself for us on the cross. He died. Our verse talks about uh, he was put to death. That's how serious our sins are. Uh, we deserve death, and so Jesus has to experience death on our behalf so that we don't have to. The third S, so we have sin, sacrifice, and the next element of the good news is substitute. See, it says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. If we confess our sins and put our faith in Jesus, he forgives us. And what does it mean to be forgiven? It means to be granted righteousness. So what is righteousness? Righteousness righteousness is right relationship with God, to be holy in his sight. See, Jesus on the cross, he he not only forgives us, he he takes away the broken relationship we have with God, a relationship that doesn't have love, and he, he exchanges it with his perfect righteousness. So Jesus takes away your wrong relationship with God, your unrighteousness, and he gives you his righteousness, his right relationship with his Father that he's had for all of eternity, a perfectly loving, good, and holy relationship. And so that means that now, since I'm righteous and Jesus has paid for my unrighteousness, I can have, I can experience joy. I can experience the joy of God in its fullness because Jesus is my substitute Sin, sacrifice, substitute. And this is pointing towards the third S, salvation. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, there's a purpose behind Jesus paying the penalty for our sins. It's to bring us to God. Jesus restores the relationship. And what type of relationship do we have? We have a relationship of adoption. I do love that we're talking about adoption this weekend because if we can have a good relationship with God, there's no no better relationship than to be a son or a daughter of God. And this is the relationship God grants us uh, through his son. See, salvation is you coming into a loving and caring relationship with the king of kings. Salvation means that Jesus is your king, yes, but he's also your brother. Salvation means that God has so dealt with the sin problem in your heart and in your life that you can know God unhindered by sin because Christ is, 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 uh, is mediating. He is, he is um, facilitating that relationship because he's paid the penalty for your sin. And one day when we we die and we go to be with the Lord, we'll experience that in all its fullness. That's what salvation is about. So when a friend asks you for the hope you have, maybe you can think about one of these elements 
And you can put it into your own words. Well, why do I go to church? I go to church because I want to have a relationship with God. Or why do you go to a small group? Well, it's because I want to experience uh, the love that God wants us to have in a kind of a church community. Uh, I go, I I serve, I care for others, or I, I don't respond unkindly because well, Jesus showed me grace, and he, he sacrificed himself for me, so why, can I, uh, why can't I do that for others? We're always to be prepared to give a gospel answer, and it'll look different in every situation. This is more of a, a principle than an than a exact how-to. Always be prepared to give a gospel answer. I want to close by reading you a reflection written by Courtney Ellis of Princeton, New Jersey. I hope that some of you can relate to her story. When I attended graduate school for English, there were many occasions when my fellow students openly ridiculed the name of Jesus. To my great detriment, I stayed silent. I was quite vocal about my belief in Christ at church and with my friends, but I was terrified of what might happen to my reputation if the people at my school found out I believed in Jesus. Most of them were just ignorant about who Jesus is. Several of them had never even met a Christian before and assumed that all Christians were the uneducated, judgmental stereotypes we sometimes see in the media. Yet, I was still afraid. As the program went on, I began to feel guiltier for these silences. If I couldn't be obedient to Christ in such a central thing, how would I be able to serve him in other ways? God was faithful in my rocky road to obedience. Opportunities to speak up for Christ continued to come my way. One day, a fellow student asked me flat out, right before class when many other people were around, if I was a Christian. I was at a crossroads. I had a clear decision to make. I took a deep breath, and with God's help, I said a soft, shaky yes. The student looked at me for a second skeptically. Interesting, she said. I always thought that Christians were like circus freaks, but you're actually kind of smart. It was a small step, but even this smallest step made in obedience is progress. Always be prepared to give a gospel answered. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gospel. And that it washes over our lives. And without you, we, we can't give a good answer. We can't give a gospel answer. But, but Christ is working in our lives. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. And I pray that you would empower you to equip every single one of your people that comes to Cornerstone that is a part of this community to, uh, to share the gospel. When I do a good job of helping them do that. And, and Lord, would you give them opportunities, opportunities on their front lines to, to, to speak words that center on you in whatever way that means, Father. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.